Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. You see on the screen, these are the values of victory. Love in action. Putting action to our love. Not acting like you love people, but actual love in action. There's a difference. Uh, Love in action is genuine. It's sincere. Acting like you love people is totally fake. We see that all the time in our culture. We're not supposed to see that in our homes or in our churches. We value love in action through growing and connecting and serving and giving. And we put the hand there because it's the symbol of just actually doing something to help other people. These are values, core values of our church. And so this morning I want you to take your Bibles and start out, if you will, in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, We're also going to look at Romans 12. We're going to look at love in action. What does it mean, love in action? How does it work? And so we've spent uh, the month of January and part of February talking about our love for God and our love for other people. And and last week we looked at part of Romans 12, and I'm not going to go back and cover what we did last week. Uh, The video is on our Facebook page. The podcast is on our podcast. So you can uh, get that from the podcast feed or the Facebook feed. You can go back and, and you can catch up if you missed some of that. Uh, But this morning we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 13 and then we're going to go to Romans 12 a little bit later and just look at putting love in action, how we make it work in our culture. Now after the service today, between now and 4 o'clock, we've got several things going on here. Immediately afterward, the kids choir is going to practice and then we're going to be rearranging chairs in here. And they're going to be rearranging the platform and setting things up for the service for Jim Reeves this afternoon. Um, so I'm not going to be out in the courtyard shaking hands. Thank you for coming. I'm glad that you're here, so I'll wave at you now. And, and then uh, after, I'll be helping move chairs and getting that set up. we got to bring in more chairs. Uh, praise the Lord. Jim had an impact in our community. We are going to be putting it uh, live streaming, Lord willing. Uh, All that stuff, tech stuff works as God allows it to work and as the demons of tech are overcome. Uh, uh, But but the plan is it will be live streamed and uh, so there are folks who couldn't make it here who could then also watch it and uh, so. But we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and we're going to read some things about love. So the first thing that we're going to see is that love is essential. Love is essential. How many of you know what that thing is on the screen? Bunch of gray hairs raise their hands. All right. In the old days, oil came in a can. And you had to have that spout, and you had to jam it into the can, and you had to do it just right so the flange was... Otherwise, if you didn't get it right really close to the edge, then oil would spill all over when you're trying to pour it. So now we'll make it a little more understandable for you younger folks. 
You've seen that at Jiffy Lube, right? You know what that looks like. But uh, this the oil, love is essential. What does the oil in an engine do? The oil does not make the engine run. The oil does not power the engine. The oil lubricates the engine. And the reason you have to change your oil is because stuff gets in the oil and the oil breaks down and the viscosity is attacked. You know, you, you've got, the oil has a, a threshold and sometimes it heats beyond and it gets hot and it gets cold and it gets hot and it gets cold and, and, and there's stuff that gets in the oil because um, machine parts rub it against each other and parts break off and uh, little tiny shavings of it. And so the oil keeps the engine working. Without oil, what does an engine do? It seizes up. It's like your car's running along fine and then it just stops. Sometimes your body does that too. Right? Uh, but that's what happens without the oil. And love is essential in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our culture. Love is not prized in our culture. But love is essential. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So if you can speak every language known to men, how many of you speak at least one language? Raise your hand. How many of you speak at least two? Okay. How many of you speak more than two? Rose, the only one. So, well, Megan does Spanish and Portuguese and English. Actually, when, when uh, Megan started working in the office, Sherry Miller was retiring and recommended Megan to take her job. And she said, Megan is trilingual. She speaks Spanish and English and pastor. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Paul said, if I could speak every language known to man, or... If I could communicate in that language, remember Paul was caught up into heaven and he heard angels speaking in heaven. And Paul said, if I could speak that language of the angels that I heard in heaven, but I didn't have love, then what is he saying? What is it? I become a, a clanging cymbal, a sounding brass. So you're like a gong or a cymbal. Now, do gongs and cymbals have a place in music? Absolutely, but they have a limited, specific place. If I don't think any of you would go to an orchestra, that today's orchestra is the gong. And you go and you show up and there's like 50 gongs up there and they're all going bong, bong, bong. And some are a little higher pitch because they're smaller, some are a little lower pitch because they're big. You wouldn't enjoy that. You need the full complement. And Paul said, without love, you're just making noise. You're not making music. It's like the old saying, you know, even a broken clock is like twice a day. There's a limited function for gongs and cymbals. But to make music, you need more. So then he goes on in verse 2 and he describes it even more. And though I have the gift of prophecy, which he did have, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, which he couldn't quite do, so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. 
So Paul said, if you communicate God's message with great understanding, if you communicate God's truth so people can understand, if you reveal God's truth to people, he said, if God, now God revealed specific truths to Paul. And then Paul revealed those to people. And Paul said, if I reveal that without love, I am nothing. Now, let me give you a pause here. Paul did reveal new revelation, a mystery that was hidden from the foundation of the earth that God revealed. But Paul didn't just do his own thing. He went and he, cared, he uh, connected with the apostles in Jerusalem, and he made sure they agreed with the message that he was teaching, that it was sympathetic with and consistent with the Old Testament teaching. There are people today, they have their own thing. They have figured it out. I have a friend, former friend, who wrote a book. He's got it all figured out. And if you're not following his book, you're not right with God. Well, if somebody has an idea that's inconsistent with Scripture, you should back off from them. Because what Paul revealed was consistent with Scripture, and we have the completed revelation. When Paul and John closed out the New Testament, we have the completed revelation from God. We don't need new revelation. Actually, what we need is to live the revelation we already have. Yeah. That's what we need, not new revelation. So be careful if somebody comes up with something new. But in your teaching, in your preaching, there are some people, they get mad when they're preaching. Um, they, they, they get mad when they're sharing God's truth with people. Uh, I don't know why, but when I was going to the U of A, there were preachers out on the wall, and they would scream and holler at people. How many of you really like it when somebody screams and hollers at you? Nobody does. And God wants his message produced and taught with love. Otherwise, he didn't just say, without love, you know, you, you're just not going to reach your full potential. He didn't say, without love, you're just not going to quite get over that hump. He said, without love, you're nothing. Nothing without love. Now, he goes on. There's more, right? Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. No matter how great the sacrifice that you make, no matter how much you do to help other people, if you don't have love, without love, the greatest sacrifices mean nothing. And there's no benefit in your life. Love is essential. But we're also missing something in our culture, and that's the second part of love, and that is love is gracious. Love is gracious. How many of you have ever disagreed with somebody? No pointing, just hands going straight up. How many of you in that disagreement became disagreeable? Honest confession. How many of you in that disagreement became disagreeable? Is that supposed to happen? We're supposed to be gracious toward other people. We're supposed to give people the benefit of the doubt. What is it they, they call it? Uh, cut some people, 
<laughs> cut people some slack. <laughs> Don't cut some people. Sorry. Kids, do not try this at home. <laughs> okay? Cut people some slack. And love realizes that you may not be seeing the whole thing. I was listening to an audiobook by the wife of a professional football player. And she said, people are so hard on professional players. And how many of you have ever watched a game and the guy messes up the pass or he misses the catch and you think, you're supposed to be a professional. Any of you ever thought that? Yeah, yeah they're, they're supposed to be pros. What are they doing? You know, I could have caught that. We always think that anyway. You know, yeah, we could catch it out on an empty street, but with a 300-pounder running at you, it's a little different picture. But she said, listen, even professional athletes have bad days. They have baggage. They have problems. They have kids and spouses who have cancer. They're wrestling with things. And they don't get out on the field and turn off their humanity. Their humanity goes with them. And we need to cut people some slack. In our culture, we attack people. And we're not supposed to. Now, last week we said that love was soft. I'm sorry, that love was not soft. The people who really love don't need things to be easy. Love can step up to the challenge. They can endure great difficulties. And, and love is not mean. Love is gracious. Look at verse 4. Love suffers long. What does it mean to suffer long? That means to be in a difficult situation and endure. How long might that difficult situation last? Could be the rest of your life. Love is gracious. Love, he says then, love does not envy. The, the ones who show love will be willing to suffer for other people. You're willing to put up with stuff from someone you love. You endure it. In fact, I have seen many different parents get thrown up on by a kid. <laughs> and they didn't scream at the kid. They cleaned up the mess. But if your coworker throws up on you, you feel way different, don't you? Because you don't have that love. You're not as willing to endure unless you have that love. The ones who love, are they show that love is kind. Love is gracious. Love suffers long and is kind. They try to help and heal and never to inflame. They, they try to make life more enjoyable for people. That's what you do when you love. You try and make it a little bit more comfortable for the people around you. Then he says that, that uh, also in verse 4, love does not envy. The ones who show love will not envy other people or their stuff. Maybe a friend gets the car you've always wanted. And you know you can't quite afford it, and they can, and you see that car, you're not going to envy them. You're going to be happy that they could have that. 
Because your life is so much bigger than the car you drive. If it's not, you need some help. Okay? And then the ones who show love will not brag or be impressed with themselves. He said, does not parade itself, is not puffed up. There is a career field in our country that is called politician. <laughs> now, in politics, what is the position supposed to be? Sure. A public sure. servant. What does it often become? Self-serving. It's all about me. And you listen to these politicians and they are God's answer to humanity, although many of them don't believe in God, but they still, they are the one, the only one who can get it right. And you must vote for them. And if you don't vote for them, you are either really dumb or uninformed or both. The smart people choose them. And then the politician over here, they are the opposite of that person and they say the same thing. But love doesn't do that. Love doesn't say, you need me, you must follow me. Love says, how can I help you? How can I make your life better? Last weekend, we had a memorial service for Shirley Chapala. And uh, in fact, the one today for Jim Reeves will be the fourth one I've been at this month. I hope that's it for a while. And, uh, but, but Shirley, uh, somebody after the service said, Shirley would have loved that. The truth is, Shirley would have hated it. Because we talked about Shirley a lot. I mean, we talked about Jesus and how to know Christ, how to be saved and how to make it to heaven. That's an essential part of a memorial service. You exalt Jesus Christ. Yeah. But we also praised Shirley. And surely would have been embarrassed at all the kind and gracious things said by her kids and other people in that service. Because she wasn't bragging. She didn't say, I'm essential to this ministry. She said, I have an opportunity to serve. You know, several years ago, uh, when we needed somebody to step up, we needed helpers and our truck club to listen to verses. And Shirley and Wanda used to listen and come in, or Sparks, right? And then they would come in here and truck, and they'd be two listeners who would sit in a truck because we were short-handed at both of those clubs. And they would listen to kids say verses, and they would help them pass it off. They didn't get accolades. They didn't get praise. Uh, they just came and they served. And the one who loves does that. They don't want to be the center of attention. They want people to focus on the Lord and on the work of the Lord. Shirley was not impressed with herself, and she never bragged about herself. And love is gracious. Verse 5 goes on to say a little bit more of this graciousness. It does not behave rudely. Love never acts rudely. The ones who love are not rude. Secondly, the ones who love are not selfish. Verse 5, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. So if I am showing love to my wife, 
I am not trying to coerce her into doing something for me. I am trying to help and minister to her. That's how love works. We're not self-seeking. And our world is filled with selfish love. I, I had a guy tell me once when his wife left him and they were separated, they ended up divorced. And he told me, I love her so much. And then he starts describing the things she does for him. And I said, okay, since you love her so much, what do you do for her? And he got a blank look on his face and said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm talking about love. What are you talking about? Because love takes care of other people. That's why a loving parent with a little baby, right, in the middle of the night, right? What do little babies do in the middle of the night? They cry. At least ours did. Some kids actually sleep through the night. Uh, we eventually had kids who slept through the night in third grade. But, <laughs> uh, but, but you're exhausted. You can't handle anything. You go to bed thinking, I desperately need sleep. You're almost asleep, and one of your kids screams. What do you do? Earplugs. Right? <laughs> no, you jump and you run. Why? Because you love. Because you want to minister. You want to make sure it's okay. That's love is not selfish. I actually lost a friend and my cousin's wife to murder suicides by people who said, if I can't have that one, no one can have them. <laughs> One of my friends here in town, that's how her life on earth ended. And my cousin's wife, she happened to drop in to see a friend. That friend's ex came by and killed them both. That's not love. Love cares and is not self-centered. So the loving one is not going to be rude. They're not going to be selfish. And they're not going to be easily provoked. Verse 5 says they're, they're not rude, not seeking their own, not provoked. King James says not easily provoked. Some people are just touchy. Some people, uh, they, they'll pick on you, but if you pick back, they get all offended. Or they get easily offended for the smallest things. When I was pastoring in Saurita before we came here, about 100 miles away, and uh, Kathy, when she was expecting our younger son, Benjamin, she had some severe complications and they put her on bed rest. And so different people in the church were helping with some different things. And I got up in church and I said, you know, I can't possibly remember everybody. So if I forget you, please forgive me. But so many people have helped. And I just wanted to say thank you too. And I named off a dozen or more people in the church and how they had helped and ministered to our family. Two people left the church. One left because they had helped and I didn't mention them. The other left because I mentioned them and they did it for the Lord. It was wrong of me to mention them. You know, you can't make everybody happy. You can't even make one person happy. Yourself. 
have to give and show love to other people and not be easily provoked. There's a lot of provoking stuff in our culture. I used to say all the time, I would say, I hate that. I hate that. And, and like Kathy and I were talking about it one day, and she said, you know, you got this massive hate tolerance thing there. You, know, can, you don't have a level in there. Can it be? So now I'll say, I'm really frustrated about that. Not, I hate that. Or there are things that I hate, like child abuse. It's okay to hate that. You should hate the things God hates. That's okay to hate the things God hates. But, you know, standing in line, how many of you think standing in line is really fun and cool, right? No, but we don't hate it. We just get a little frustrated by it. We're not provoked because we love people. And sometimes standing in line gives you an opportunity to witness for Christ to people or befriend people or help people. Not always, but sometimes. And then he also says in verse 5, love thinks no evil. People who show love, they're not provoked, they're not upset, they're not offended, and they never seek to hurt other people. They think no evil. Why? Here's the third thing. Because love does what is good. Love does what is good. Can you see that word approved up there? Yeah. Okay, I can see it on the computer, but I don't even see it up there. It's like too white. So I'm colorblind if you didn't know that. So no big deal. I don't have to see it. But look at verse six. Verse six, he says, Love bears, sorry, verse six, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. The ones who show love, they recognize that wrong is wrong and always wrong, and right is right and always right. And they don't, I don't think you can live in a totally black and white world, although I kind of do, but I don't think you can live that way emotionally or spiritually. Uh, there are some gray areas in certain things. But when the Bible says it's wrong, it's always wrong no matter who says it's right. When the Bible says it's right, it's always right, no matter who says it's wrong. And so we focus on what's good, what we love. We don't just focus on what's comfortable. We focus on what's good. And the ones who love are going to do what's right. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And in verse 7, he gives four quick things. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The ones who love can endure hardships. The ones who love can show trust in God by loving other people, even when those people hurt them or cause them pain. Even when life is challenging, they can show love. Now, Jesus kind of set, set the bar on love, right? God so loved, he gave his only begotten son. Christ loved and gave himself for us. So when Paul's talking about these things, Paul's not saying, oh, this is the pie in the sky. This is the dream. This is the Disney version of love. Everybody's great. No, he's saying, listen, when you're loving, 
You're going to get hurt. You're going to suffer. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to feel provoked. But you're going to respond with graciousness. You're going to do what's good. Now, verse 8 begins with the phrase, love never fails. He goes on to talk about something else because his part on love is part of a greater argument on spiritual gifts and how that all works in our lives, chapters 12, 13, and 14. But listen, in John 13, 1, Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart from this world unto the Father. And then it says, having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. True love doesn't quit. Love, though the ones who love keep showing up. They keep doing it. It hurt yesterday, it might hurt today, it might hurt tomorrow, but they keep showing up. Now, our world says if you love somebody, you put up with anything. That's not true biblically either. We cannot be enablers for people's sin. We have to speak God's truth into the circumstances, but we also do it with love. We share truth with love. Now turn to Romans chapter 12. We were there last week. We looked at uh, the significant part of this chapter. <coughs> Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. Romans 12, 17. It says, repay no one evil for evil. You're doing good. You're being gracious. You're doing what's kind. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. The ones who show love are able to show kindness even to those who hurt them. Look at the beginning of verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The beginning of verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. We, we don't try and pay people back. That's the way of this world. The way of this world says, you hurt me, I hurt you back. Last week I was talking about the guy that I knew who said, I don't, I don't get mad, I get even. And somebody told me afterward, they used to have the motto that I don't get even, I get ahead. <laughs> we one up them. And that's what happens often in our culture. This person attacks down here, and the next person attacks and attacks and attacks and attacks and attacks. And it just builds up till it's not repairable. But believers aren't supposed to live like that. We're supposed to live a little more like Jesus who gave himself for other people. So the ones who show love are able to show kindness even to those who hurt them. They don't seek to pay back. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructed his followers to have a specific attitude toward their enemies. What were they supposed to do toward their enemies? Love. Love your enemies. That's what Jesus said. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. 
And I don't think Jesus meant, oh Lord, make them pay. I don't think that's the prayer he was asking you to pray. Then the second part of verse 17. Have regard for good things in the sight of all. The ones who show love focus on doing what's good and what's honorable. Not what's self-indulgent, not what's easiest, but what's good and what's honorable. And in verse 18, he says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. The ones who show love seek to be peacemakers. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, I've had it up to here. Right? <laughs> I've had it up to here. And they're not going to take any more. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, give in, try and seek peace until you've had enough. And when you've had enough, that's enough. Just let her rip. No, he said, as much as lies in you. So as much as you have the capacity in you. So I could pick on one person here today, and I could name them by name. I'll pick on Travis, because Travis is leaving this week. They're going, where are you going again? Iowa. Iowa. They're going to Iowa. They're doing a traveling nursing, and so they're going to be going and blessing another community, so we'll miss them. But let's just say that Travis and his dad have a blow-up this week, right? You know, and Travis says, I have not to hear with you, God. Well, what should he say? Hey, I can live with this. I can endure this. Just for a few more days, right? <laughs> but, but listen, we are supposed to be the peacemakers. What is happening in Christianity? We're the alienators. We're attacking people who don't agree with us. I don't even see Jesus doing that in the scripture. And he knew the absolute truth. The only people Jesus argued with were the religious hypocrites. The confused people who didn't know any better, he showed kindness and grace to them. And we need to do the same. And we need to be the ones who pull people in toward peace. You know, if, if you're a Christian on the job, then God expects you to be the one that helps warring factions in the company because every company has different departments and sometimes you have department heads that don't get along. And I know when I was a business manager, for some reason, the R&D guy and the manufacturing guy didn't get along very well. And it was my job to bring them both to the table so they could work together because that's what you have to do for success in life and in business. So as much as in you, we, we live in a culture that's obsessed with dividing people. They're, they're wanting to make you go to one extreme or the other extreme, and there's no middle ground. And that's what our culture is. If you support them, then you hate all this stuff. You can support a little bit of that and not hate everything else. You, you, the scriptures teach us to make every effort to bring people together. Now, this implies two things. One, you have agency. You have the capacity to help and heal and not inflame. But it also implies only God can make it happen. You can do your best in our church policy on, on uh, conflict resolution. Uh, we say that, you know, it's our job to make the effort, 
but only the Holy Spirit can make it happen. So as much as you can, you try and make it happen. Could there be some people out there who won't like you? I can't imagine that. I mean, but yeah, there could be some people out there who don't like you. And they're not going to get along with you no matter what. But as much as you can, try and make it work. Do what you can to bring peace to those around you. Now that includes speaking God's truth so you can bring God's peace into the circumstances. You can't bring peace to the Middle East. You can't. But you can bring peace to your middle block, to the middle of your neighborhood. You can bring peace to the middle of your business or your area where you work. You can bring peace to a coworker. You can bring peace to a neighbor. You can bring peace in your family. You, you may not resolve all the conflicts, but you can come to a peaceful resolution where you can get along. And that's what we're supposed to be striving to do. He said, as much as lies in you, as much as in your responsibility or your capacity, you give peace. And then in verse 20, he says something that's kind of been mis misinterpreted. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will keep coals of fire on his head. And Kathy and I were in a church service in California. And the preacher's up there and he said, you got to be nice to people who are meeting you. Because then you're like putting coals of fire on their head and you're making them pay. Okay, that's not showing love. <laughs> Just to clarify that. Hope nobody takes a snippet from this message and says, look what Terry Green said. Okay. I, they don't know exactly what was going on here, except sometimes when people let the fire go out in their house, they could, and so they had to go get coals from somebody else's house, and they'd carry it back on their head in a pot, and, and then they'd relight the fire in their own house. And so when they're walking down the street with that pot on their head, it showed people they didn't prepare, they didn't plan ahead, they didn't take care of their responsibilities. But they don't know exactly what that meant in the Old Testament and when it's quoted here by Paul in the New Testament. But we're supposed to show kindness to other people. So don't get obsessed with making them pay, but focus on being kind. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. So Ryan, when I offered you a water bottle yesterday, it had nothing to do with being an enemy. I was just being friendly. <laughs> so, you know, but, but help people. That's what we do. And in verse 21, he says uh, that overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. How does that work? Well, it worked pretty well for Joseph, didn't it? Joseph and his brothers. He showed kindness and eventually they were blessed and so was he. David did it with Saul. How did it work out for their long-term relationship? David and Saul. How did that kindness David show? How did that work out? It didn't. Saul refused. And so Saul went to his grave, an enemy of David. But David was at peace with God because he handled the situation with Saul appropriately. Jesus. Jesus overcame evil with good for everybody who will call on his name and trust in him. Overcome evil with good. 
So we focus on love in action that's rooted in the commands of Jesus and described in the instruction from Paul, and we are living out the love in action. Jesus kept things simple. He made things simple. He described things in simple ways so that we can understand it. And let me give you two things you can hang on to and, and remember to, uh, if you keep these two phrases straight in your head, you'll be able to do what we talked about in the scripture last week and this week. Respond to other people the way you wish they would respond to you. Respond to them the way you wish they would respond to you. How many of you have the habit of interrupting people? Come on, you can be honest. You know, years ago, Ryan was helping Jim and I get new cell phones, and they had a new cell phone that did, it could be like a walkie-talkie or a cell phone, and we were like, oh, that'd be cool, because we call each other all the time, and back then, it was an unlimited call, and we had to, had to limit. So we'd call each other and talk real fast and then get off the phone, because you had to pay for every minute. And, and Ryan pointed out to us, he said, okay, guys, but you know it's like a walkie-talkie, so you can't talk while the other person's talking. You have to wait for them to finish. And Jim and I said, ah, we can't interrupt each other. We don't want it. <laughs> well, Kathy pointed out to me the other day that I have a hard time hearing what she's saying when I start talking before she's finished. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> After 41 years of marriage, she finally told me. <laughs> Respond to people the way you wish they would respond to you. Treat them with the kindness you would like them to treat you. Here's the second thing, and that is be as kind, as forgiving, as loving, and as encouraging as you want God to be toward you. How do you want God to treat you? Why don't you try and show that to other people? Because we want God to overlook our faults, we want God to forgive us when we fail him. We want God to speak encouragement into our life. Why don't we do that to other people? Then we're fulfilling the scripture. So when we talk about the values of victory, these are core values that we have, but they're not just values. It's supposed to be a pattern of life not an intellectual thing or even something hidden deep in your heart, but something that actually reaches your hands and your feet and your mouth. And we start giving and connecting and serving and, and we're growing personally and we're sharing with other people because God values love in action. And so should we. And we do on paper, but how do we do in the flesh? working it out in our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, which speaks your truth, which helps guides us and, and uh, keeps us away from the bad path that would lead us to pain and suffering. And, and Father, we thank you for your amazing love and grace. And we I pray that we would truly grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.